It's my privilege to bring the Bible reading this morning. You might like to take out your own Bible or your device and we're looking at Ecclesiastes 12. The words will also be on the screen. Ecclesiastes 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of travel come and your years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground that it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, the collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Amen. Thank you, Mrs. Scott. Morning, everyone. Morning at home. I've dressed coolly today because I understand it's going to hit 40 degrees. With that wonderful introduction, in a moment I'm going to invite you to bow and to pray. But before I do that, I want to give this person an opportunity. If your car is 289MSI, 289MSI, your car lights are still on. No need to go or to indicate who you are. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head, close their eyes, and you can just duck out very quietly. (coughs) We'll be looking for when you come back. Please pray, everybody, bow your eyes. Vanity of vanity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this opportunity. We do pray that you will, as uh, Pastor Charlie prayed, speak to us through your word, that our lives might be meaningful and purposeful and glorifying to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's not a church where you can hide your sins, is it? Trust you had a good week. We have finally come to the end of Ecclesiastes. Yay! It's been a journey. It's, been, it's a great book. It's a stimulating book and it's a book certainly worthy of reading several times through. And as I reread it this week and reread some of my messages, my notes, I went, I said that, I said that, I said that, and I'm saying it again. It's like keeps repeating itself over of 
And then you realise that's exactly what Solomon is trying to do at the end of that reading that Judy read to us. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and arranging proverbs. And he said, the words of the wise are like goads, prattle prods, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings given by one shepherd, given by the Lord. He's saying, I've written this book and structured it so that it would drive truth into you and that you wouldn't let go of it, but your life would continue to be shaped by it. Well, we come to chapter 11 and chapter 12 this morning. We're going to start in chapter 11 and work our way through it. Uh, These two chapters fall basically into three sections, and there's probably three sections within each of the three sections, and each one, interestingly, ends with an emphasis upon God. Respect God, rely on God, fear God. It's like he structured it in such a way that with however we live our life, as he instructs us this morning, then ultimately it's with a view to knowing God, serving him, relying upon him. By way of introduction, chapter 11 also provides an antidote to the very age in which we live. We live in the age of self. I have to drive this thing as well. Well, I can't drive this thing. Not working, Paul. Thank you. (laughs) Did you do that? This could be fun. Just talk amongst yourselves while I do this. We live in the age of self. Self Self-realisation, self-awareness, self-determination, self-help, do-it-yourself, self-esteem, self-sufficiency. There's even a great Australian song, isn't there? can't remember his name. What about me? The individual in our culture in the Western world is far more important than the group. We are individuals. Back in the United States, in the state of Illinois, going back a few years now, when personalised number plates first became available for sale, 1,000 people in the state of Illinois asked or applied for, they wanted number one. 1,000 people. They wanted to be number one on their number plate. The person in charge of making that decision says, who was he to disappoint 1,000 people? So he assigned number one to himself. There's a little poem, some of you might know this, a little girl at a tea party. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests in all, just I, myself and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank all the tea. It was also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. We live in the age of self. It all started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve wanted to push God out basically. They wanted to be number one. They wanted to be in charge and of course that started before them in heaven itself with Satan doing exactly the same thing. What starts in youth, and it is manifest in our children, what starts in youth grows into adulthood and it's revealed in many different ways but it's most clearly and obviously revealed on the road. Some people will not merge or let you in or wait for you. They will do, they put themselves first. It's manifest in the supermarket. One of my chief irritations, I've told you this before, is when you go to park your car and you find shopping trolleys not put back in the, in the, the bay where they ought to go but left near a pole or somewhere else. Laziness. People considering themselves aren't considering other people. Well, Solomon certainly knew what it was like to be number one. 
He was number one. He was the king. And he indulged himself. And in fact, in this book, this journal that he has written for us, he is describing all of the things that he tried and discovered and learnt. And he basically concludes by saying, being number one is not all it's cracked up to be. That's not the answer. And we all still vainly push for it. So many people in our world. You may have heard of a Dr. Carl Menninger, psychologist and researcher. He was asked the question, what advice would you give for someone who feels that you know, life is, they're miserable and they're overwhelmed and they're heading for like burnout or breakdown or something like that. What would your advice to them be? He said, lock up your house, go across town, go and find someone who is in need and do something to help them. It's pretty good advice. Get the focus off yourself. Put it on others and do something practically to help them. Well, that's basically what Solomon is going to be saying to us in this passage, particularly in the beginning of chapter 11. There are four commands in verses 1 to 6, which is the first significant paragraph. In verse 1, it's cast. In verse 2, it's give. And then down in verse 6, there is the command to sow and the command do not withhold. You could group those together and he's basically saying this. In verses 1 and 2, the command is to cast your bread upon the waters, to give give a portion to seven or to eight. That phrase, cast your bread upon the water, doesn't quite make sense to many commentators. <clears throat> there are a couple of different options and we can't be absolutely sure dogmatically what it means, <clears throat> but there could be this. It's certainly practiced in uh, different parts of the world where don't think of bread like we have bread, you know, in slices and in nice little plastic things and when you throw bread into the water, what does it do? It absorbs water straight away. In the ancient world, the bread was flatter like pizza or a little pita bread or something. And when you threw, it's like a frisbee. When you threw that upon the water, hard crusty outside, but rendered it a little bit uh, water resistant. Cast your bread upon the water and let it float downstream where poor people would come out and grab it. So if that's what it means, then Solomon is saying, be generous, focus upon others, provide for them. In ancient Egypt, they used to, <clears throat> when the Nile flooded, they would take their seed and they would go out with the flood water still there and they would cast the grain into the water so that when the waters sank and the fertility of the flood waters would help the crop. Boom, cast your seed, the bread, upon the waters. Well, the one I like, and what's probably the most common understanding is, it's about invest. And that fits in with verse 2. Cast your bread upon the waters as ship your grain overseas. Solomon certainly did that. If you read through Kings, he was sending ships up and down the Mediterranean and to other countries where they would take grain from Israel, the breadbasket of the ancient world, and they would, uh, you know, exchange it for animals and for gems and for money and other sorts of things. And it would take years for those ships sometimes to return. So cast your bread upon the waters is invest and you will get a return for it. You don't get it now, but you'll get it later. Work now, reward later. That's generally the idea. <clears throat> Give a portion to seven or eight. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Invest in seven or eight different things, like your superannuation fund, I'm sure, has invested in different things. Because he says, you don't know what disaster may happen on the earth or in the land. Things go wrong. And sometimes investments can disappear overnight. So don't put all your eggs in one basket, but rather invest wisely. <clears throat> so putting all of that together, what's he saying? Well, be a person who 
gives and is generous to others and who is active and diligent, involved in a variety of tasks in order that you can live life. It delivers you from self-consumption. When it comes to giving to the poor, give with an expectation of getting nothing back. But when it comes to giving to ministry, you should inspect for fruit. Be wise in who you give to. So, are you a generous person? Are you a giving person? Are you spreading the love? Remember what I told you about money last week? If you keep it and you pile it up, what happens? It stinks. Money's like manure. If you keep it and pile it up, goes off smells awful but if you scatter manure it'll help things grow so too with money and it's difficult for us to part with our money because we think we've made it the reality is we are involved we're cooperating but it's God who provides us with all of these things and he gives it to us for us to be a conduit for us to be able to give generously to others there was a preacher in the United States in the southern United States he was winding up towards the end of his message and he was getting pretty worked up and the people <clears throat> in that congregation, you know, there was a lot of response, a lot of interaction of amens and hallelujahs and preach it, brother, and all those sorts of things. So, amen? amen. <laughs> mm. He got worked up and he was going with, the church needs to be like the lame man, the church needs to rise up and the church needs to walk. And the people responded enthusiastic, let it walk, preacher, let it walk. He said, the church needs to be like Elijah when he ran from Mount Carmel down to Mount Sinai. Let it run. Let it run, the people responded. And he said, the church needs to be like an Isaiah, to rise up on wings like an eagle. It needs to fly. Let it fly, preacher. Let it fly. Of course, if it's going to fly, we're going to need money. Silence. Preacher at the back said, let it walk, preacher. Let it walk. Money is given to us to be generous, to give to the poor and expect nothing in return, but also to give to ministries, to be involved in supporting God's work in the world. That's what Solomon is saying. Both give or invest yourself, as well as then in verses 3 to 6, commit yourself. Life is certainly unpredictable. Three times in verses 3 to 6, he will say, you do not know. Go down to verse 5. You do not know the way of the spirit or the wind, Either how the wind blows through the earth, just like Jesus said, or you don't know the way of how the spirit comes to the body. You don't know how the bones grow of a child in the womb, of the mum. So you don't know the work of God. Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know. You do not know, you do not know, you do not know. Life is unpredictable. You don't know the future. We know that. God is the one who causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. Sends his rain on the same. Storms come. Storms can be relational. You could lose your job, it could be divorce, it could be your own health. We live in a world where the wind blows and where trees fall and we don't know. So what should we do? Well, he says in verse 3 and verse 6, he says three things. One, be diligent. Be diligent. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth... And if the, free, if the tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where it falls, there it will lie. What is he saying? You don't control it. You don't control the wind, you don't control the rain. These things happen. You live in a world that you don't control. You live in the world that God controls. Then he says, down in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, be active, be diligent, be involved. 
And at evening, don't withhold your hand. Continue to work and to be productive because you don't know which one will prosper. It could be this one or that one or it could be both alike. Life is uncertain. The future is unknown. But be diligent each day. You can't change those things, but change the things you can. Invest yourself. Be generous. Commit yourself. Be diligent. <clears throat> and then he says, down in verse 3 and 4, take a risk. Be adventurous. Uh, the winds blow, the rains come. Good and bad happens to us all. What can initially you think is a bad thing actually turns out to being a good thing. The rains come, yeah, but then the big wells and the cisterns will be full of water for later on. The dams will get full. A little boy was out, he'd been spent hours making a little sailboat. He went down to the pond to sail it, the wind blew. And it sailed really well, it sailed right across the other side until it hit something and then it sank. Spent hours making this thing, was having great fun with it and the wind blew it and destroyed it. And then he looked up and he said, gee, it's very windy. It's a great day to sail a kite. That's the sort of attitude Solomon wants us to have. Don't simply mope about when bad things happen, but rather look for the opportunity which is in it that God is giving you. Be adventurous. Take a risk. Who knows which one God will bless. So be involved. And then he concludes with um, verse 5 and 6 about rely on God. Remember I said in verses 2, 5 and 6, he talks about you do not know, but God knows. You don't know the way of the wind in the world. God does. You don't know how a baby grows in a mother's womb. God does. His thoughts and his ideas are way above us and it's a mystery to us. But he knows it all. A newsflash for us, we don't. So therefore depend on him. Rely on him. That's an anchor to us. That's where Solomon is wanting to get us. Be generous and give. You don't know what the future is going to bring. When you've got the resources, participate in cooperating with God is wanting to do in the world. Be adventurous, be diligent, and in all of that, be relying on God. There was a new tribes missionary who was in a particular part of the world where he had great trouble <coughs> translating the word believe out of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. He couldn't find the word in the language for the word believe. So he's talking to the elders and people about it and one of the people on the translation team, a native, got up and he went inside the hut and he lay down on the bed on the stretcher and as he lay down he said something. And the translator said, what did he say? And when it's translated he said, I am going to put my full weight on this stretcher. I'm going to lean everything on the stretcher. He said, that's it. That's what believe is. To rely, put my full weight upon Jesus. To rely on him, that he is the one who's going to be working things out in my life. Be diligent, be adventurous, rely on God. Solomon's been there before and he'll be there again in a minute. I came across this article out of Reader's Digest called Anyway. Things that we should do, we should go after it. Have a go at it. Here is the quote, the article. People can be unreasonable, illogical and self-centred. Love them anyway. 
If you do good, people will accuse you of being selfish and having ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you'll win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. Honesty and frankness will make you vulnerable. Well, be honest and frank anyway. The good that you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. The biggest people in the, uh, with the biggest ideas can be shut down by the smallest people with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favour underdogs, but they'll follow top dogs. Fight for some underdog anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Trees falling. Build anyway. Give the best you have and you'll be kicked in the teeth, but give your best anyway. Have a go. Live life under God's full control. Then following in verses 7 to 9, he goes on and he'll say three more things. When I was a little kid and went to school, <clears throat> believe it or not, I went to school, they used to have a thing called three R's. Don, you're here this morning. What are the three R's? Reading, writing, arithmetic. That's a school principal who speaks like that. Reading, writing, arithmetic. <laughs> the essentials of life, Don, isn't it? You've got to be able to read. Right, and you're going to be able to add up and subtract. Well, Solomon has three R's for us in the rest of chapter 11 and into chapter 12, verse 1. The three R's, the three words start with are live realistically, live responsibly, live reverently. That's impressive, isn't it? That those three words can all start with a letter R. Did you know how long that took me to wrestle with that? Verses 7 and 8, he says, live realistically. Sometimes with Solomon, you read it and you've, you've just got to pause and stop and meditate and think. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Every day above ground is a good one. Verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. If you live for a long time... Rejoice in them all. Because days of darkness will come. The good and the bad will come. There will be down times. You know, it's enjoy the road, but there are going to be bumps in the road. Good and bad happen to all people. There's pleasure and pain. Life is a mixture. Light and darkness. Life is not all happily ever after. For some people, you certainly get the happier, but nobody gets the ever after. Not even Mrs. Evans. Life is not without interruption, without a mixture, ups and downs, evils and blessings. And God is at work behind the scenes. We have to rely on him and trust him. So Solomon is saying, live realistically. This is the world we live in. Don't be unrealistic. Um, God made the sun and the moon. And sometimes he guides us by the clarity of the sun. And sometimes during the night he'll guide us by the dullness, the light, softness of the moon. So he's not saying be disillusioned or be fatalistic or anything like that, but rather be realistic, acknowledging what God is like. And what do you think of this? We tend to notice the evil more than we notice the good in our world. If I held up a white sheet and I had a black dot on it, what would you notice? Would you notice the black dot or would you notice the white sheet? We tend to notice the black dot. 
In our world, there is more peace than war. There is more love than hate. There is more laughter than sadness. There is more joy than grief. But all of those things are in our world. Live realistically, he is saying. Life is a blend. Look to God. Live responsibly, verse 9 of chapter 11 says, Rejoice, young man, in your youth. If I look around this morning, it's not for us, it's probably for the next congregation. Oh, no. There's one or two here. Here we're young. Three or four. This is for you. We'll listen in, but... Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. What's he saying? Enjoy being young. Enjoy your life. What are the best days of your life when you're at school, isn't it? Isn't that what we were told? Why is that? Well, because when you are young, you have more energy, you are more flexible, you have more mobility, and you have a better recovery rate. Your bones mend, your wounds heal, and your aches disappear a lot more readily than when you get older. So glorify God and enjoy him every day, forever. God is with you wherever you go. As you follow him, enjoy him being with you. But then Solomon says, and see, often we say the opposite to that. We say to young people, stop mucking up, stop, you know, it's be sensible, be careful. And there's balance is what's needed. If you're young, enjoy it. You're not going to have it forever. I know. So balance it though with, as he says in the second half of the verse, but know this, that for all of the things you do, God will hold you to account. So it's be aware of the boundaries, but within the boundaries, enjoy yourself. Live life to the full, to the brim. Have an abundant life of joy, pleasure and fun. But bearing in mind that God will call you to account. Enjoy the present, but don't forget the future. Um, Don't live for just now, because there is a future. There is an accountability. So help that accountability that God will hold us to account. Let that tether your behaviours. We all need to live with restraint, all of us. It starts in childhood and we teach a child what the boundaries are and teach them how to have restraint. Otherwise, as I read to you last week, a child, if gives in to their own sinful predispositions, they will be incredibly selfish and mean and cruel to others and not care about other people. That's what sin does to us. So the purpose of parenting is to train up a child in the way they should go and to help them to live fairly as a part of society. Young people, don't live haphazardly. Don't go wild with the liberty and the freedoms that you have. It's a bit like you're 18, now you can drive. Drive sensibly. Not like a 20-year-old boy. What was it, kid, the other day? In, was it Caboolture? Doing donuts in the ute and the wheel came off and hit a five-year-old boy. Have fun. But live with restraints and within boundaries that are acceptable to society and to God. And bear in mind, mothers should never say this, but it does happen a lot. You wait till your father gets home. Do you ever have your parents, your mum say that to you? You wait till your father gets home. 
So enjoy the present, but be mindful of your future. When Dad gets home, there could be consequences to the choices you're making. That's what he's saying. Live responsibly. And then verse 10 of chapter 11 and verse 1 of chapter 12, it's live reverently. And he says three quick things. Remove anxiety or vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life a vanity. Short-lived. They can be meaningless. Verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth because the evil days come and the years will draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Difficult days are ahead. Thanks, Paul. I haven't been moving that, have I? I think it's the next slide as well. Um, what Solomon says here is remove vexation and anxiety from your mind, from your heart. Think clearly. That's what he's basically saying. Uh, as a young person, uh, you can have a predisposition to being, uh, getting angry and getting frustrated because you're not getting your own way and that can lead to um, all sorts of harmful things happening. So put that aside. Think clearly. Control your thinking. But also control your body. Uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when it talks about putting pain away from your body, it's meaning don't abuse your body. Don't do things that are going to harm you long term, like alcohol or drugs or smoking or sex or an inactive life like couch potatoes. Stop bad and harmful practices that will cause suffering later on in life. And many of these things you won't know. So that's where you have to listen to your elders, your elders who will guide you. Um, Youth doesn't last long. Enjoy it while you have it. Beauty is passing. That healthy, tight, strong skin that you have right now will become very short, will become wrinkly and soft. Happens, doesn't it? Amen. Hmm. You bet. And then finally, he says, well, in this section, second middle section, chapter 12, verse 1, have a commitment to God, of course. He keeps cycling around to that. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. He didn't. He went off track, remember? He's now an elderly citizen. He's getting towards the end of his life and he's looking back and he doesn't recommend his lifestyle. He says, I got it wrong. Don't live that way. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember God early on in life. And um, you need to, and Solomon just establishes the truth that people need to be open and, and willing to learn. You can't force them, they have to have a readiness to want to receive the truth. And when he says the word remember, he's not talking about just recall or don't forget that there is a creator. What he's saying is remember with a view to doing something about it or on behalf of. God remembered Noah when he was in the ark, God remembered Hannah when she was praying for a child and God acted on their behalf. To remember means to recall a situation and to enter into it. Remember your creator, Solomon is saying, and act on his behalf. Have a commitment to God. <clears throat> Place Jesus Christ at the centre of your life. Hand over the, the responsibility for managing the universe, hand it back to him. You can't control it. He can. So it's submit to him. Remember him.
Well, then we come to the last and final section, which is a very dramatic um, and variously understood passage, so I'm going to just simply share my understanding of it this morning. Solomon gives a very poetic description of what it's like to get to your senior years. It's a very frank and honest description. It's reality, and particularly in his world, because we in our world, with all of our modern medicine and AIDS, uh, are not quite as bad, but this is still true, even for us, but even more so for him. Let me begin just by simply saying this. If you think being a teenager is tough, just wait. It gets harder. If you think raising a family is tough, just wait. The hardest is still to come. Old age is not for sissies. It's tough. There are lots of things you can look back on and regret. You can have a sense of uselessness and a sense of I'm in the way and I'm not wanted. Isolation and loneliness are common amongst our seniors. And if you feel, and if you're here this morning and you feel that way, that I'm in the way, I don't have any value anymore, well, you're wrong. You couldn't be wronger. Some people are more effective in their senior years than they are in their younger years. Moses was 80 when he started to serve God. Abraham was 90 and heading to 100 before God dealt with him. And I remind you of Caleb, also in his senior years. William Gladstone was Prime Minister of the UK four times in his life. J.C. Penney was 95 and he was still in his office. Michelangelo, who painted his work, The Last Judgment, at the age of 89. The following year, at the age of 90, he's on his back painting the Sistine Chapel. John Wesley preached on horseback for 80, until he was 88 years of age. Not everyone gets better with age, but many do. So look after yourself and enjoy your senior years, because what I'm about to read to you is coming. I like what Agatha Christie said. She said, an, an archaeologist is the ideal husband, because the older you get, the more interested he becomes. <laughs> Solomon's going to talk about debilitating developments. Like I said, it's honest. The two elderly ladies were friends for years, and one eventually very honestly said to the other one, I've known you for years, and for the life of me, I can't remember your name. What is it? To which the other lady looked at her and paused, and then she said, do you need to know right away? That's what Solomon's going to write about. <clears throat> Verse 2, let me read it to you very quickly. Um, Before the sun and the lights and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. I think he's talking about these things are becoming darker and dimmer, duller. It's failing mental powers. It's loss of memory. That's one of the blessings for our dear sister Bronwyn Webb, whose body has increasingly got cancer in it, but her mind is clear. There are no tumours in the mind, and that's what they had prayed for and we had prayed for with them. It just helps. <clears throat> Verse 3. When the keepers of the house tremble, the house is the body, the keepers of the house are the arms and the legs, the keepers of the house, the hands and the arms tremble, shaking. Um, and the strong men stoop or bend over. 
the upper body and the legs. The grinders cease because they're few, that's the teeth. Uh, and looking through windows grows dim. The eyes start to fade, cataracts. Your prescription changes. And in fact, if you're over the age of 50 and you don't wear glasses, you're a modern miracle. It's just part of living in this world. When the doors to the street are closed, he's either talking about the mouth or he's talking about elderly people tend to stay home. They don't want to go outside. They isolate themselves away. And the sound of grinding fails, you know, grinding grain. The hearing is starting to go. It's not as loud. They rise up with the sound of birds, I think means they wake up with the birds. You wake up at daylight. You don't sleep well. You don't sleep as well. And even songs grow faint. Again, it's the hearing. You're afraid of heights, afraid of falling down, afraid of curbs, afraid of stairs and of dangers out in the street. People are afraid to go out at night. <clears throat> the almond tree blossoms is referring to the white blossom of the almond tree. What goes white? Your hair. That's what he's talking about, I think. Um, and the grasshopper drags itself along. The muscles tighten, become sluggish. And then desire is no longer stirred. The desire for food, the desire for hobbies, just the desires of life decrease. And you become less interested in life. And then people go to their eternal home. They die. And mourners go about the streets. That's the funeral. And verse 6, he says rather emphatically... Before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. What is all that talking about? Well, you can try and allocate it to I think it's just generally saying that things that are precious in life eventually will break and they will be irreversible. It's inevitable um, and it's just the body shutting down. <clears throat> there was a US undertaker... He used to sign all of his letters, eventually yours. And then, of course, it says, and dust returns to the ground, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You're buried, but you're not ended. Life goes on. Death is not the end. And so he comes then to this final instalment. Um, <clears throat> verses 9 to 11, just to hasten this quickly, my time is gone. Solomon talks about the words that he went searching for and the proverbs that he collected and how he collated all of this information. And now he wants to give us the conclusion. He basically says, look, this has been a very wearisome task. Of the, of the making of many books, there is no end. Amen. There is no end. And I started, when I started in ministry, I could go to Kurong or bookshops and I said, I don't have any books on Leviticus. Pick any book you like. I don't have any books on Leviticus, and there were three or four available. Go now. There's 40 or 50 available. Of the making of many books, there is no end. Rhonda went to an arthritic specialist, a professor, during the week, and he said something. And then he said, there is one article that said this back in the 50s, and since then there have been 3,000 articles. 3,000? All denying it all coming up with the same evidence about this treatment. Of the making of many books, of the writing of many articles, there is no end. So Solomon's saying, I've done all the hard work and now I'm going to tell you in a very simple way what the conclusion to the matter is. 
And he comes down to verse 13 and 14. Here is the end of the matter. Everything has been heard. Here are the three things for you to do. Fear God, keep his commandments, because that's the whole duty of people, of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God, number one. He said that about a dozen times through the book, hasn't he? He keeps coming back around to it. It's not, be, not tremble and be afraid of God. It's not that. It's respect and to revere. And that attitude, that response leads to one of submission and to obedience, one of wanting to please. So fear God and then do what he says. Keep his commandments. First time in the book he talks about God's word, God's commandments. For that's our whole duty. What's life about? Relating to God, respecting him and doing what he says. And what has he said through the book? Enjoy your life. Work hard. Enjoy your marriage. Enjoy all of the good things that God gives you. See if I can find it. There was a rabbi back in the third century who makes this very insightful comment which is here. Man will have to give an account for all that they saw and did not enjoy. You ever thought of it like that? One of the things when we appear before God, he's going to say, I gave you all this stuff and you didn't enjoy it. Enjoy your life. Enjoy all the good things God gives you. But don't just enjoy it for yourself. God has provided it for you to enjoy here but also to give away to others. Be generous, be diligent, be active, be involved. And particularly if you're a young person, enjoy it as much as you can because it gets harder as you go along, as you live longer. That's just the reality. Um, <clears throat> Ageing is certainly for some, most. Dying is for everyone. We are all proceeding to the grave. Fear God, obey him because we have to face him. Billy Graham was asked, what is the most stunning thing, surprising thing for you about life in this world? His answer, the brevity of it. The brevity of it. It goes so quickly. Time flies. I don't want, I was going to try and maybe show it to you this morning. We don't have time. Remember this name and look it up on YouTube when you get home. Mary Maxwell. Mary Maxwell. And she's uh, gone to a retirement village, a retirement home called Home Instead. Just type in Google of humorous prayer for the elderly. Mary Maxwell, Home Instead. And here is a lady in her 70s who leads this dinner in a prayer. It's very funny. It's very honest uh, and quite insightful. Let me finish by saying this. Life is an opportunity that God gives us. Aging without God is vanity. Dying without God is a calamity. He made us to know him, to love him, to serve him. That's what the meaning and purpose of life is. Let's pray. Father, we live because you made us. We are your idea. You want us to work and enjoy it, to give and to receive you want us to live responsibly and realistically. Lord, we know that we will age, that one day we will die, 
and that we should be preparing for that now by relying on you, by obeying you and by being thankful to you and enjoying all that you provide for us. Lord, bless you. Guide and teach us, we pray. Amen.